Terry would be the first one to say that he didn't feel that he was a hero. He was just doing what he felt needed to be done. And, and uh, although he'd be very happy to know that people have found different ways of recognizing what he did and the, and the sacrifice and, and what he wanted to do by statues. And I think there's 14 schools in Canada named after Terry and that kind of stuff didn't matter. What would really make Terry happy in, in knowing how people have reacted 40 years later is the, the amount of money that's been raised for cancer research and, and the impact on lives that that has made. And that's all that Terry ever wanted was to make a difference. He, he said when he was in Newfoundland, he was only two weeks into his run, he said, I want to set an example that will never be forgotten. And he certainly has done that today. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Cubicle Athlete. On today's episode, we have Fred Fox. And this was a really special episode for me. Fred's brother over 40 years ago was an 18-year-old kid who was diagnosed with cancer in his right leg and ended up having to get that leg amputated and then went through a year and a half of chemotherapy. To make a long story short here before we go into this episode, after going through that whole experience, Terry Fox decided to run across Canada and raise money to fund cancer research. He was now a 21 or 22-year-old kid, and um, that's exactly what he did. He wanted to go from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean, and he wanted to raise $1 for each Canadian citizen, which at that time in 1980 was $24 million. His run ended up being cut short after 143 days. He had covered 3,339 miles, uh, and he, he ran all that on one leg. He had a, a prosthetic, which in 1980, prosthetics weren't very... They weren't, they weren't like they are today. Um, it wasn't designed for running. It was definitely designed for walking. But Terry, Terry ran 3,339 miles, and uh, he, he didn't make it to the Pacific Ocean, unfortunately, because the cancer came back. Um, he had some tumors in his lungs, and, and it just – so he, he ran a lot of that while, while being sick and uh, unfortunately succumbed to that diagnosis. But uh, right before he died, they did raise that $24 million in 1980 and, uh, or 1981. And today, uh, my guest Fred Fox works for the Terry Fox foundation where they continued that goal and continued, uh, his brother's legacy. And they've risen over $850 million in funding cancer research. So I don't want to talk too much here. I'm going to let this get into the episode, but thank you so much for tuning in. I think it's important for, for people to know this story. Every Canadian knows it. Uh, I know a lot of Americans don't. So, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Thanks. You say you're Canadian. Where, where are you from? Yeah, yeah. So I was born and raised in South Florida. Oh, okay. My, my whole family is from Quebec, rural part of Quebec, like 40 miles north of Maine and the border. I always lived in Florida, but I, I've, I've visited Canada probably three times a year my entire life. Uh, my, right, yeah. I, right now, I'm the only person in my entire family, extended family included, that lives in the States. My parents, so this is a funny story, a bit of a coincidence. My parents had moved to Calgary about seven years ago. My dad does construction. My brother works with him. And they've hopped around Alberta, Calgary, Edmonton. And as I'm doing a little research here on this story, well, this is funny. So my brother lives in Maple Ridge right now, which I I think you're in Maple Ridge. Is that right? Okay. And my dad and my mom, they were in Maple Ridge as 
they left two weeks ago. They're in Coquitlam now. No, you're kidding. Wow. Yeah. And I always knew as an American or as a Canadian that grew up in the States, I always knew Terry Fox. I was aware of the foundation. I didn't know the extent of the story. I didn't know where you guys were from and where it all took place. So it was just so funny that as I'm doing this research and just the coincidence of that, and I'm telling my, my mom and dad, and they're like, yeah, look, we're like six minutes away from the high school that he went to. Exactly. And the, yeah, I was exactly. like, oh, that is crazy. Exactly. So yeah. So small world. I thought that was uh that was interesting. <laughs> so have, you, you, have you ever been to the Vancouver area then? I guess I have, I have never been to BC, unfortunately, because of uh, COVID. Yeah. I haven't been able to go visit. I have a six-month-old that my parents haven't been able to, to well. meet yet. That's why I, I'm in my bedroom right now, not my office. My office is now the, the nursery, so I, I've had to make some changes at the house. Awesome. Um, but yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, now that the parents are getting vaccinated, I'm vaccinated, hopefully these numbers, I don't, I mean, Canada is not, not, uh, it, it, the rollout of that vaccine was a little slow, huh? And it's, it's been slow. I, I I'm fortunate. My wife and I have been vaccinated. So, uh, right. yeah. So we're, you know, kind of through the, the provincial government and their age category. So, um, I'm able to get be vaccinated. So we're, we're getting there, I think. Yeah. I think we're about, I don't know where we are right now, maybe 40%, 30, I, I, yeah. in British Columbia, I think we're yeah, somewhere about 45%, I think. Okay, okay. Not bad. Yeah, 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 we're getting there, we're getting there. In LA, I mean, we were the epicenter just like four or five months ago, yeah. and, and now we're doing great. I think yesterday we had a, in LA County, 10 million people, we had 160 new cases. So it's gotten so low here, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah um it's one of the things we miss like we're i'm we're big uh seattle fans and we we get down to, down to seattle four or five times a year to go see ball games and yeah you you're know, gonna get the crack in there soon huh that's that'll yeah be, so we're yeah. kind of looking forward to that so yeah yeah, yeah. that'll be cool I haven't been able to do that for a year and a half now oh i know it's such a bummer yeah. such a bummer well again uh you know thank you so much for taking the, the time right. um this past week, uh, once you, you emailed me back and yeah, I'd love to do the podcast. I just like, all right, I'm going to consume as much content as I can up until this <laughs> call. So I've been reading and watching and just consuming just books, articles, videos, documentaries. And so okay. it's been, it's been an emotional week to say the least. Yeah. Um, like I said, I, I, I was always aware of, of your brother and I was aware of the foundation and the legacy that you and your family have continued to carry on, but I wasn't aware of the extent of it and not, uh, there was a lot of nuances that I didn't know, which I thought was unfortunate because, you know, in the States, I think there's a lot of that. There's a lot of, like, I, I spoke to friends leading up to this call, like, no, no, we never heard of, of Terry Fox. It's like, man, like people, people need to learn this story. They need to learn about what you and your family are, are doing with the foundation and, um, it's obviously very big. You're obviously huge. It's just, there's still some pockets, I think in areas of, even in my social circle, I'm like, you guys got to know about this. Yeah. So, so did, uh, have, did you get it when in your this past week, did you get a chance to see Steve Nash's, uh, documentary? So I did, and I, I couldn't believe I didn't know about it again yeah. as a Canadian. I didn't know Steve Nash did a 30 for 30 ESPN documentary, on terry and uh yeah so I, I watched that me and my wife were watching it we were crying just about 90 percent through it um very emotional very inspirational moving i mean it's what a story man and yeah. you, you're a part of it i think you're 
it's going to be interesting to get your perspective and your stories and your memories on it all because you know the whole the whole nation was watching on tv i was born six seven years later um but i know there was a huge buzz as the press was starting to pick it on uh, pick it up but for you that, that had to be i mean that's such a unique thing you experienced so I'm really curious to hear about that, but I get, I, I might be getting a little ahead of ourselves here. I, I, for starters, sure. I just want to start with, um, if you could just tell us who you are, what you do, what the Terry Fox Foundation is, and I think we could go from there. Uh, yeah, so Fred Fox, Terry, Terry's older brother, and uh, we're about 14 months apart in age. So, you know, through, through growing up uh, as little kids and then, you know, teenage years we did a lot of things uh playing high school basketball and all that kind of stuff and then presently i work for the terry fox foundation in the national office uh actually our national office is at simon fraser university where terry went and uh playing basketball there and where he was first diagnosed with cancer so so we're here in british columbia and um you know that's why i'm part of the uh senior management team on the for the foundation and, um, you know, kind of guiding our staff right across the country, working with volunteers and those who keep Terry's dream and legacy alive. You mentioned basketball. It's something I thought was interesting that I kept coming across was he was earlier on, I guess he he was considered not a very good basketball player. Your brother, is that right? I guess he was undersized. And then over time he became one of the the better or even best basketball players on the team or in the, the high school or, Okay, can you speak on that? Because it seems like sports were pretty important in your family, huh? Yeah, it really was. Sports uh, was a big part of all of our uh, our family. Uh, my brother Terry, Daryl, sister Judy. Our mom, our mom played lots of sports. She was a goalie in ice hockey and uh, in a small town in southern Manitoba. And so she, you know, we got that uh, athletic uh, interest from her, and uh, it was a big part. And and Terry would be the first one to tell you that he you know, he wasn't the best athlete. He, you know, he wasn't very big and it was in grade eight, uh, junior high, first year junior high here in British Columbia, where Terry wanted to play basketball, grade eight basketball, tried out for the basketball team, wasn't very good. Coach came to Terry and said, you know what, you're not, you're not quite where we need you to be right now. Maybe the wrestling team, maybe the cross country team would be better for you. And, uh, as Terry was, he took that as a challenge and uh, never wanted to give up or uh, walk away from a, from a challenge. So he stuck with it, sat on the bench for most of the year, got to play a few minutes here or there. By the time he was in grade 10, his final year of junior high, he was uh, the, one of the starting guards and the captain of the team. And, and that was the way Terry was, very determined. After that, he was always the first one. Uh, waiting for the janitor to open up the school in the morning so we could go in and practice before class, always, uh, you know, throwing extra baskets at lunchtime. On the weekends, him and his buddy Doug Allward uh, would always play one-on-one, and that's the way Terry was, very hardworking, determined. Mom would say to us all the time as we were growing up, she would say, um, you know, finish what you start, and Terry took that. uh, That was one of Terry's models, is finishing what you start. Yeah. And did you play on the same team as him basketball? You said you played together. But was it just more? Yeah, smart? I think I, I, I'd be a year older. So uh, uh, when we were in senior se- senior high school, yes. But uh, we played, you know, soccer together. You know, soccer in Port Coquitlam at the time wasn't uh, as big as it is today. So we, you know, we the two age groups would play together, but uh, not a lot of basketball together. But uh, other yeah. sports for sure. I'm curious about your relationship with him because it sounds like. 
it, it, it sounds like he was very, obviously very driven, motivated. He was very stubborn for lack of a better word, right? Like he just, yeah. He, yeah. And, and I, did you guys bump heads a lot or did you get along very well or a little bit of both? Uh, you know, everyone in our family is very competitive, even when it, when it came down to a game of Monopoly or, <laughs> or, or Rummy or you know, cards or something like that. So, um, yeah, we were very competitive and, uh, you know, a lot of those little competitions, even if it was going, you know, walking, you know, a, a kilometer away, a mile away to the local football field and kicking field goals and challenging each other who could kick the longest field goals. It was always a challenge. And, you know, a lot of those challenges and, and uh, little uh, soccer games in the backyard or whatever it was would often turn into somebody in tears and go <laughs> running off the mom. But, but that's the way it was when you got brothers and siblings and yeah. uh, we were very competitive. But, you know, we were close, um, but very competitive and, and always trying to be the best we could be. Yeah. Yeah. Because as I was just learning more and more about, about uh, just this whole story, really, and it, it, I was curious if those traits that he had the the stubbornness and the competitiveness and the being so driven if if it was a switch that happened after the diagnosis and after chemo and because because some things changed after that not just physically right mentally i think there were some things that had changed after that but it seems like those traits were always there he just was that way it was part of him to, to be that motivated or did you see it really ramp up after the the diagnosis or no, after I, everything? I, I, yeah, I think you're right. It, it was always there. It was yeah. always there from the very beginning, from a from from a very young age. Very competitive. Um, even, even if you know playing road hockey out in front of the house, it, it was always very competitive. Um, and even like I said, and you know, as young as 12 years, 13 years old, playing grade eight basketball, very determined. And and it, we were all that way. Terry took it to a different level, though. Terry, and and you're probably right. You know, when when he was diagnosed with cancer. Um, Terry had something to prove that uh, even though he lost his, you know, right leg above the knee, um, he had he, he had to be even that much more determined and and um, you know persevere even that much more to overcome the challenges that he faced. Yeah, that was going to be a question I wanted to ask. Was it? Do you see a lot of those same traits in you? Obviously, it's your your brother that that went through the you know the difficulties of of cancer, losing a leg, and went on for this this run, but. Do you see a lot of those same traits in you? Are you as driven and, and as, I, I don't want to use this word in a negative way, but as crazy, because what he did is crazy, right? I mean, that that is. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the idea of running across Canada <laughs> on, on one leg is kind of crazy. In fact, our mom said that to him. Yeah. She, when she told him, when Terry told her that he was going to run across Canada, she told him he was crazy. But yeah. uh, I think, I think in, in a different way, you know, all of, all of Terry's siblings are very, determined and yeah. hardworking and uh you know if, if we're we're gonna do something we you know if it, if we're gonna go for a, a bike ride it's not gonna be just 10k it's probably gonna be 80k or something like that right yeah. so yeah. you know that's, that's just what we do and um it's what we've always done and it, it, it it's what drove terry you know to uh to being the best he could be yeah was terry a popular kid in high school he was very shy. Anyway, I think as young guys, teenagers, we were very shy, you know, shy of, of girls and all of that kind of thing. And uh, kept very quiet, didn't say a lot. And, you know, I remember reading a, an interview of Terry's uh, 
university basketball coach and watching Terry as he was making his way across Canada, running across Canada after his diagnosis and speaking to crowds of, uh, of hundreds of thousands of people and uh, Stan Stewartson, the coach of head coach of SFU basketball, men's basketball in an interview interview would say like, I didn't know who that was because Terry would say nothing at a basketball practice. Terry did all of his, all of his talking on the basketball floor. He was very quiet didn't say a lot, but here now he was talking because he was so passionate about what he was doing. He was um, able to talk to people. So popular. Yeah. He was well liked and popular in that way, but not in the sense of having, you know, lots of different friends and all of that. Right. He wasn't extremely social, a little bit more of an introvert and because it didn't seem like an introvert when you're seeing a lot of the footage as I'm watching everything. And he's, he's speaking to these large crowds and obviously he had a, a, a huge goal that he was striving for. And it was, you know, raise money to fund cancer research. And that goal, it didn't seem to be self-motivated. It didn't seem to be, oh, it's because I got cancer. I thought what was interesting was because when he, when he was first diagnosed, he was 18, I believe. Yeah. And as he was in the hospital, they, they, and getting treatment, he was under chemo treatment. How, how long was that? Is that now, a year and a half? Is that year right? and a half chemo? Yeah. Yeah. Oof, that's brutal. And it was in, uh, he was with the, in the children's hospital, I believe, right? Where, so he saw yeah, the chil- in the children's ward. Yeah. On the yeah. Vancouver hospital. That seemed like that's, that was a big switch for him. And I wonder if he was in a ward with adults, if it would have had the same effect. And I would imagine probably not right. Seeing kids go through that must've been so tormenting, right? Like, it had to be so difficult. And he just had that drive. Like I have to do something about this. So it, it's interesting to just see not, not the, the, the physical changes and, and the physical feats that he accomplished, but I guess just, going against his nature as an introvert and, and really becoming this spokesperson. Yeah. You know, it, I mean, it, he said, you know, getting cancer changed his life, changed yeah. his life for the better, um, made him a more caring person. Terry said that often in the speeches that he made as he was running across Canada. Um, eight, as you said, 18 years old, um, not in 1977, like a long time ago, 40 some, you know, 40, uh, over 40 years ago, he was diagnosed. And, at 18 years old, he didn't know very much about cancer. We, I, I can tell you, I didn't know very much about cancer. People didn't talk about it the way we do. And um, Terry was diagnosed, did some research, found out that um, you know not a lot of money through government, through private donations, was go- coming to going to cancer research here in Canada. And Terry wanted to do something about it. But it was really, as you say, the the kids that he saw uh, going through the same thing, younger kids than him going through the same thing. Terry would uh, take his chemotherapy treatments at the hospital, come home, go back a week later, and some of those kids weren't there anymore because they had had succumbed to their uh, diagnosis. So it had a huge impact on Terry. um, And he would often say it made him a more caring person because as as a teenager, sometimes he only thought about himself. He thought about what was, you know, those material things that were important to him. And and now that didn't matter. All that mattered was making a difference and helping other people. Yeah. Were you living at home at the time when he got diagnosed? Because you were around 19, I suppose, right? Were you yeah. Still- so uh, 19, I, I, when he was first diagnosed, I was. But by the time Terry started training in uh, early 79, um, learning how to run with an artificial leg in 1979, I wasn't living at home. So I missed a lot of that part of uh, the training, Terry, t- Terry ran over, you know, 5,000 kilometers, uh, 
just in training alone to get prepared to get you know anybody who's ran a marathon knows what you got to do in part of training and Terry was going to be running a marathon every day so he put in over 5,000 kilometers in training before even uh, got started the marathon I hope yeah I think to to paint a picture I think this is accurate around 5,000 kilometers is like Seattle to Miami is that right yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so as he, he, he was doing that training for 14 months, and I know he's just running around the track every day. Was he doing anything else? Was he like weight, weightlifting? Do you know if he had anything else part of his training or was he strictly running? And yeah, also for- one, one thing I, I want to add, because you said, yeah. you know, he's, he's learning to run on this prosthetic. This is 1979. Yeah. That prosthetic was not designed for running. Like today, you have these prosthetics that like spring and yeah. you know, right, right. So that was just a, a something to to walk with, right? You're exactly right. The leg, the leg that he was learning to run on was designed for walking. They're they're literally literally what at that time weren't artificial limbs designed for running, like you see in the Paralympics today. And uh, we we often say uh, we, we wonder. How many more miles Terry might have ran during the you know 1980 if he had the technology that uh, athletes have today? Um, yeah, so um, yeah, so you know he was running on uh, training on our official leg, um, like you said, running around a, a track at, at in the beginning, and then eventually you know running you know 10 miles a day, 10 15 miles a day on, on roads during through the Port Coquitlam Coquitlam area. Yeah. And as he's training, like he already had, the decision was made. It's like, I'm, I'm running across Canada. I have to train. I think originally he said it was going to take two years of training, but then after like a year or so, he's like, I think I'm ready to go. What, where are you at at this point? Not just physically, but mentally, like, what are you thinking? Like, did you think he really was going to do it or were you questioning it? Yeah. You know, he, when he, um, you know, through all that training, you, you asked uh, what else he was doing. Yeah. He was weightlifting. He was playing wheelchair basketball. I don't know if um, your audience knows who Rick Hansen is, but Rick Hansen uh, was a, uh, a, par- uh, a Paralympic athlete, uh, did uh, uh, lots of um, Olympic uh, races in his wheelchair um, after Terry passed away in 1981, and I think 85, 86, Rick Hansen uh, wheelchaired around the world. And uh, but Rick had heard about this kid who was a basketball player, Simon Fraser. Invited Rick out to, or Terry, Rick invited Terry out to play wheelchair basketball. Now, and basketball was a passion of Terry's, and uh, they became good uh, good friends, good teammates. Represented uh, BC, British Columbia at uh, national championships. So. You know, Terry, as part of his training, he was doing that. He ran a, um, a race in Prince George, British Columbia, in the north of the province. Uh, it was about a 17-mile uh, race. He had never ran that far as part of his training, and he came dead last. Like Everybody else in that race was an able-bodied athlete. He came last, but being last wasn't a big deal with Terry. All that mattered to him was he finished what he started he crossed the finish line that's when he came it was labor day long weekend he came home and told her mom what he was planning on doing and uh and, you know she got very upset with him when terry maybe a week later he told me what he was planning on doing and you know growing up with terry and you know being young like him um 
I might, I might have been taking it for granted a little bit, what he was planning on doing. And I, as an older brother might do, I said, that's great, Terry. Good for you. Um, good luck. We'll see you when you get back home. <laughs> you know, ne- never, never imagining. Even Terry could never have imagined the impact he was going to have on our country during his run. So Yeah. That's uh, crazy. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm trying to just en- envision what that conversation is like. I have an older brother. And if I told him that he'd be like, yeah, now nah, get out of here. You're not yeah. doing that. <laughs> um, so once he did start running, so you had that conversation and you're like, yeah, you know, we'll see when you get back. He, it started now. And I don't think the press really caught on just yet. Right. It took a while for that to happen. Uh, wh- when was that? When did they really start to pick it up? Yeah. So he started in, um, you know, you know, he did, like, as you said, probably about 14 months of training from uh, seven, nine, you know, February of 79 to April of uh, 1980, started in St. John's, Newfoundland on April 12, 1980. And I, uh, if anybody knows anything about Newfoundland, it's pretty, um, pretty small, big, big island out in the Atlantic, but um, not a lot of people there and uh, not a lot of attention. And uh you know, middle of April in Newfoundland, very cold and um, stormy, and not a lot of people knew what he was doing. Um, it wasn't until, you know, Terry went, ran through the maritime provinces, Nova Scotia, um, New, New Brunswick, got into Quebec. It wasn't until he really hit the Ontario border that the press really was, uh, really picked it up. And, uh, and it really be, went crazy. It, it, you know, it went, the attention was, uh, um, Probably a little overwhelming in some, in some cases, especially when he was running through southern Ontario uh, in the Toronto area. It really, the attention, and Terry didn't mind the attention. It was because he knew uh, the attention of uh, funding and fundraising for cancer research was uh, being highlighted as well. Yeah. But what, as you mentioned earlier, you wonder if he had the prosthetics of today, how far would he have gone but also if he didn't have to do a lot of the, the press and the media obligations. As I was seeing that, I kept thinking of professional fighters, boxers, MMA fighters, and you often hear them complain about having the media obligations. It's like, I'm a fighter. I just want to fight and I want to, you know, I have to train, I have to focus, especially as an introvert for Terry too. I would imagine it, it, he knew that's what he had to do, but it had to be so hard and tough to know that this is taking away from the run uh, that uh, yeah and and, and it, it was 41 years ago so media social media didn't exist terry would be in in newfoundland but for example in newfoundland in the most remote little communities in newfoundland and they pull over and they're you know do we does, are there phone booths around anymore here today and and they find a phone booth and, he'd, and then he'd get into the phone booth and he'd phone a the, a radio station in Vancouver, all the way across the country, to to let them know where he was, how wow. he was doing, and you know, do an interview, and and that happened throughout the whole marathon. I hope until he got to Southern Ontario, then he'd be able to sit down with a reporter or something like that. But um, but you know, he they they had to they had to contact the media themselves, um, you know, to get in, in the beginning to get the attention that they needed. Yeah, and there there were some things that bummed me out a little bit what i heard about when he got into quebec as a french canadian and i again i didn't this is the first time i ever encountered some of these uh i guess the, the stories of of just you know they didn't know a lot of the people in quebec didn't know they were unaware the press didn't really pick it up much i think until he got to montreal montreal i think was a bit of a different story um was there 
what do you think that, I mean, obviously a language barrier. Um, I think that's the exact same year that the whole vote was going on for seceding, right? So the separatists yeah, are right. voting. So yeah. obviously the, the tensions of, of uh, the French and English there was, I mean, they've always, there's always been tension, but I think it was pretty high at that point. What, was there just a, a lack of outreach to media or was it the media not interested or, and th- I don't know if this is a touchy subject. I could always cut this out as well. If, you, if you'd like, we yeah. don't have to discuss it. No, it, it, I mean, it's part, it's part of the story. We don't, we don't generally, you know, generally highlight it very much. Cause you know, the, what happens in Quebec today when, when it comes to the Terry Fox foundation and the Terry Fox run and all that is pretty good in, there, but there is still those, those issues, uh, the francophone issues and all of that. But, but I think, you know, Terry was, when he came up with the idea of running across Canada and raising money for cancer research, he had to go to the Canadian Cancer Society. And because uh, that was the only organization in Canada at the time that was doing any fundraising for research. And so it was the Canadian Cancer, cancer Society's responsibility, no matter what province they were in, to organize what Terry was going to do once he got there. I, I don't think the Can- Canadian Cancer Society in Quebec were did what they could have done in, in getting Terry the attention and all that. And as you've said, Montreal was awesome. Um, there was a Four Seasons Hotel there. The Four Seasons through Isidore Sharp, who owned the Four Seasons, was a very big supporter of Terry's Marathon of Hope. But um, the language barrier and all of that as well was a big issue. But, uh, you know, Terry got through Quebec and today, um, you know, I've I've been to Quebec many times over the years, visited schools, and uh, they love Terry there, and, and yeah. uh, because now they know the story. So. Well, it was interesting because when I came across that, um, as I was telling you in the beginning, my whole extended family is in Quebec, and I was yeah. I was messaging uh, some uncles, some cousins. Obviously, they learned about Terry in school and the history books, and um, I asked them about that. I'm like, I'm coming across some things here about like, maybe some things didn't go so well in Quebec. And they're like, what really? And they didn't know. And then my uncle who, I mean, he's, he's a little younger than you, but, uh, he was in Quebec in the eighties. He's like, I don't know. He's like, I remember seeing it in, uh, on the TV. I mean, we, we always thought he was a hero. So I don't know, maybe there was just some, some pockets of Quebec uh, where there was some, some of that happening, not all of it. Um, or and, and like you say, there, you know, they were, there were some issues going on there too with the referendum and all of yep. that. So yeah. yeah. And, and, and even, even as Terry is making his way across country, like people were then saying, you know, Terry was bringing Canada together where right. at one point there was talking about separation and now, you know, Terry was running across Canada, bringing Canadians together for a common goal. And uh, yeah. He was really- yeah. Yeah. I think what was really awesome to symbolize that was the idea of taking two bottles full of Atlantic ocean water. And then he, the goal was to pour it in the Pacific ocean. Once he got there, um, weird question. I don't know if you have the answer, whatever happened to that water. What, uh, did he, did, did... We, we have it. My mom kept it. Mom, you know, we, we lost our mom, uh, almost 10 years ago now. It'll be 10, 10 years in June. And, uh, but, um, our, our, that was just the way our mom was. Any of her children, she kept, I, I have stuff still that she kept at when I was two years old, three years old, and she would write on things. And all of, all of Terry's stuff, Terry passed away. She kept the sock, you know, this sock that had holes in it that he wore. He never, he never took off during the Marathon of Hope. She kept the water, water bottle. When she passed, we, we, we didn't know where it was. We found it tucked away in a clothes hamper in a closet, um, keeping it safe. And, uh, 
Um, so we still have that. We still have every, everything that Terry had during the marathon of hope. We, we still have it. That's and, awesome. Uh, yeah. So um, yeah, it's kind of cool that, you know, and that water will stay there until the day it evaporates because, uh, you know, Terry never finished his run and his intention was to uh, dump that Atlantic water into the Pacific ocean when he finished. Yeah. I had a, a friend in Toronto that actually sent me this question that he wanted me to ask. And uh, he said, you know, once the press did catch on, uh, the buzz throughout the entire country was obviously something really special. It sounds like every morning people were waking up, turning on the TV to see where Terry was and what Terry had to say and what was going on with the run. But what he was asking, and I think it's a great question, is really what what was what was it like for you at that point once the and your family and what the buzz was like in the hometown? Because it had to be different than what it was like in, in Toronto and in Quebec. And then, you know, what was it like uh, in your surrounding area there and in your yeah. household, really? Yeah, you know, it was it was amazing. Um, where there was fundraising going on um, for the marathon, I hope in every community that Terry was running through, you know, through Eastern Canada into Ontario. But that that started pretty early in Coquitlam, where we grew up. The you know there was a a big uh, billboard in town with a thermometer to say how much we, we, the town was raising, and and with anticipation of when Terry would arrive. So. Um, you know, it didn't matter, you know, where I was working at the time, everybody wanted to know how Terry was doing, um, you know, playing hockey and, and soccer, you know, it was always the first thing somebody would ask me before, you know, we got onto the pitch and uh, it, it, it was pretty amazing. Um, again, I, like, because I wasn't living at home when Terry was doing all that training before he started in Newfoundland, I never got to see him run. I never got to see Terry run before he started the Marathon of Hope. I finally got to with mom and dad and our sister, Judy, um, be in Toronto when Terry arrived there, you know, I'd watched the newscasts at this on the six o'clock news. And, you know, we got updates on where Terry was. He would send a postcard every now and then, but when he arrived in Toronto and I was able to run with Terry down university Avenue to city hall with uh, Daryl Sittler, who was playing for the Toronto Maple police at the time, it was an amazing feeling. Um, you really, then it, it it, it hit you what the impact that he was having on so many people the, the streets were lined with people three people deep along both sides of the sidewalks going down university 10,000 people at City Hall in, in Toronto it was quite amazing when Terry started in St. John's there might have been 20 people there and now he was speaking to thousands of people right and lots of people were following him along in, in some areas with running right they were just tagging along and running with him and I, I couldn't help but wonder if the scenes of Forrest Gump running and mm. having people following, if that was inspired by Terry in the Marathon of Hope, have you ever had any confirmation of that? Or because no. it's I, no, I've never thought of that, but uh, it's a great thought. Uh, but no, it's never we've never heard. So yeah, yeah I wonder. Yeah. Um, so today, Terry is obviously a, a hero to many. Um, and not even using that, that word lightly. I mean, he truly is a hero and I kept hearing Canadian hero, Canadian hero. I mean, it's, it's way bigger than that at this point. Right. I mean, I, I guess when he was doing his run, he was a Canadian hero. Now it's very global. It's, it's a hero to, to humanity and, and what you are doing as well with the foundation and all your work. Do you know who his heroes were? Did he, do you know who he looked at, looked to for, for inspiration? You know, I think like a lot of young kids, um, Terry's heroes would have been uh, athletes, sports athletes, um, maybe, you know, not 
looking at people in the same way that we see Terry as me as a humanitarian and somebody that was out there trying to help other people. But Terry, um, Terry was a Boston Bruin fan and he loved, uh, you know, and um, um, the Bruins won the Stanley Cup in the early 70s. And um, Terry was a big Bobby Orr fan and got, had a chance to meet Bobby Orr in Toronto um, when he ran through Toronto. So uh, that, that was the first chapter. Yeah, that was a beautiful chapter. Yeah, and and again, then Daryl Sittler, who ran with Terry through Toronto. So, um, you know, it was athletes. Um, you know, Muhammad Ali was somebody that Terry admired as well. Um, and uh, yeah, just probably mostly athletes. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was cool to hear about uh, when he was playing wheelchair basketball. He actually had played against Wayne Gretzky, and what was the quote Wayne Gretzky said? He's the only person I've lost uh basketball too is that what yeah. <laughs> something like that, something and, like that. And that was before the the run right he he had i think That's he, when he was, like i said he was when he was playing wheelchair basketball yeah yeah so yeah it's interesting um so as we just said obviously you know he's regarded as 40 years later canada's hero there's statues of him around the country there's streets and schools that are named after him was he aware of all the adulations and love that the country had for him before he passed? I mean, I know he got a lot of awards and stuff like that, but could he have ever imagined not necessarily 40 years later, but even just a few years later where this was going? No, no. He, could, he could never imagined. And yeah, he, you know, he was so, he was so humbled by the, by the response, even when he was forced to stop his run in, um, in, in Thunder Bay. Um, you know, still, you know, a, a bit away from getting home to BC and, um, you know, the response of Canadians and how they wanted to um, continue what Terry started. And, and when he passed away in June of 1981, almost 40 years ago, um, you know, the, the reaction of Canadians is, was amazing. And Terry could never, ever have imagined, you know, he never... Terry would be the first one to say that he didn't feel that he was a hero. He was just doing what he felt needed to be done. And, and uh, although he'd be very uh, happy to know that people have found different ways of recognizing what he did and the, and the sacrifice and, and, and what he wanted to do by statues. And I think there's 14 schools in Canada named after Terry. And, um, you know, th that kind of stuff didn't matter. What would really make Terry happy in, in knowing how people have reacted 40 years later is the, the amount of money that's been raised for cancer research and, and the impact on lives that that has made. And that's all that Terry ever wanted was to make a difference. He, he said when he was in Newfoundland, he, only two weeks into his run, he said, I want to set an example that will never be forgotten. And, um, and he certainly has done that today. What the, the original goal, the, the financial goal was, I think it was a million and then it went up to 24 million, right? He wanted to get a dollar for every Canadian citizen at that time. Yeah. Um, and where are we at now? What's that number today? Do you know? Uh, uh, over $850 million. <laughs> yeah. Canadian dollars, I'll say that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, ama amazing nonetheless. That's incredible. Yeah. I think it was last year, the Canadian federal government announced that there was they wanted to put a new face in the $5 bill. And it seemed like Terry was the front runner in that. Whatever happened with that? That's still, um, we still haven't heard. Uh, our When it comes to stuff like naming or use of Terry's image and all that, our family is very much involved. Um, um, although we're all connected, we're connected to the Terry Fox Foundation and the fundraising that goes on. 
when it comes to stuff directly about Terry, when it comes to it, honors and statues and, and a $5 bill, um, we're working with the Bank of Canada. And um, I think their original thought was they would make that announcement at the end of March of this year, but uh, obviously that hasn't happened yet. I, you know, with everything else that's going on in the world, I think the uh, Canadian government has got other things on their mind. So um, Terry was one of the front, front runners, I think shortlisted to about six people. And um, so we're hopeful. Uh, yeah. You know, it's like, as you said, Terry wanted to raise at one point a dollar for every Canadian and saw that come true um, before he passed away. 24 million people in Canada at the time. And, um, you know, who knows what, what inflation is, but uh, maybe it's five dollars. So, yeah. For- yeah, yeah. You had mentioned, you know, what's going on now with the pandemic. And I think in 2020, the, the big focus with the Terry Fox runs was a, a virtual run. Uh, how, how did that go? I think it's just, you sign up, you have sponsors, people donate, and the idea is to run wherever you are. Right. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, you know, in a normal year, we would have um, probably close to 800 communities, small and big cities, like, you know, in Toronto, there'd be four or five different Terry Fox runs in the city of Toronto. And, but there are eight, about 800 communities across Canada would normally gather people together, you know, from 10 to, thousands of people for a Terry Fox run. Well, you know, in 2020, we, we couldn't do that. It was virtual. And so we were asking, and, and the words that we used was one day your way. So you go out and you do whatever you can your way on the, on September 20th. And uh, uh, people did that. They just gathered with their family, whoever was in their bubble and out their front door and they would walk to the local park or whatever they did. And they still fundraise. That was always, that's always going to be the key is to fundraise. And, and it was a huge response. So people, people in Canada are so supportive, uh, you know, 40 years later, young and old. I mean, we've got kids, obviously, who weren't born 40 years ago that are, they, that learned there's 9,000 schools in Canada that have Terry Fox runs at their schools. And these are kids, obviously, that didn't, weren't born when Terry was around and they're inspired by Terry. And so last year, uh, even though we dealt with the pandemic, we, we, um, I think, we were only down about 25% of what we normally raise every year, which was, was pretty remarkable. And Canadians responded um, as Terry would. Terry said back in 1980, even if I don't finish, we need others to continue. And Canadians and pe- not only Canadians, but people around the world uh, have continued that. And, you know, I've been to New York for the Terry Fox run there, and it's quite a quite an event in Central Park. Yeah. Yeah. It's in, in many different countries. How many countries are are there Terry Fox runs now? I think it's about 30 different countries and, you know, and and some of them, it's just a school or like a private, um, you know, international school that will do it. But um, yeah, 30 different, whether it's in India or in Hong Kong or wherever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, again, everybody around the world has been dealing with this pandemic. So done it a little bit differently. And it looks like we're probably going to have to do the same thing this year where, you know, we're getting better, but um, with the pandemic, but we'll see. Yeah. 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 That's what I was, what I was going to ask is if the virtual run is going to continue 2021. Yeah. We're, 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 what we're telling our, our volunteers and our run organizers across Canada is, you know, plan for a virtual, but who knows by August where we are here in Canada um, when it comes to vac- vaccination, some of the smaller rural communities on the prairies or in northern Ontario or northern Quebec maybe 
you know, they'll be able, to, be, able, be able to gather. But in the larger, more populated areas like Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, maybe not so much. Yeah. Just a, a couple questions to veer off the, the, the foundation and back to Terry, but I, I do want to get back to the foundation before we close here. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many books, articles, documentaries about Terry. As I said, this whole week, I was consuming them all. Um, <laughs> but do you have any specific special memories about him that you could share that maybe... I didn't come across in, in those uh, books and documentaries. Hmm. You know, all my memories are really of, uh, not all, all of them are not, they're not really above the marathon of hope and when, what Terry did running. Now, you know, I had a couple of opportunities to be with Terry during the marathon of hope. I mentioned Toronto, but uh, a month later in the middle of August, my wife and I were on vacation and we drove from Vancouver, Coquitlam where we were living and out to, uh, we, and we uh, found Terry, Daryl, and Doug in, in Northern Ontario, not far from Thunder Bay, and uh, spent some time there. And that that's a pretty fond memory, is spending some time, three or four days with Terry, and uh, not realizing at the time that only 10 days later, he would be forced to stop. Um, so that that has, uh, you know, that's a big memory for me, because I spent some time running with them and helping them out. And um but most of my big memories are of Terry and I growing up. And like I mentioned in the beginning of playing sports and doing all those things that kids do and, you know, jumping on our 10 speed bikes when we were kids and uh, driving, actually riding from Port Coquitlam to Maple Ridge with our golf clubs, clubs on our back and uh, playing golf and doing those things that we used to do. So uh, that's what that I remember most of all. Yeah. If you could talk to Terry right now, 40 years later, what do you think you'd tell him? I, you know, number one would, would be, you know, uh, how much uh, he, he has done for this country, has done for cancer research, has done for people diagnosed with cancer. I would want him to know that what he did in 1980 has had such a, such a huge impact on the, so many lives. So I get a, I have a wonderful opportunity to travel across Canada a couple times a year in the spring and then in the fall. And I meet people of all ages and uh it because of being terry's brother people want to share their personal story about a family member and so many people say you know they they say thank you to you thank you to your family thank you to terry because if not for terry my my mom my my son wouldn't be here today or we or we wouldn't have had those extra five or ten years um, if not what Terry did in 1980, and um, it, you know Terry should be so proud of of, of what he did in 1980 and the, and the impact that he had on research in this country. Yeah. So if people want to get involved with the Terry Fox Foundation, where can they go? What what can they do? Yeah, you know the easiest thing to do is go to our website terryfox.org, and um, uh, whether you're you know, in Canada or in the U.S., uh, anywhere around the world, um, you know, we'll be able to find something, especially, you know, doing the virtual Terry Fox runs in 2020 kind of opened the door where we, even if there isn't a run somewhere, you know, in, in the U.S. or, um, you know, people can do it virtually. And um, and so, yeah, register. There's a way of, you know, creating your own fundraising page and doing your own events. So, Awesome. Um, yeah, there's lots of ways of getting involved. Great. Any, uh, any, any last, last words, anything you'd like to share 
um, other than what we've covered so far? Uh, no, you know, just, um, you know, it's, it's great to be able to chat with you, Derek, and, uh, and uh, thank you. You know, Terry, you know, like Terry would often say, you know, it, the Marathon of Hope wasn't about Terry Fox. It was about uh, helping other people. And um, um, Terry was just a young kid. He didn't know anything about fundraising, but he was an athlete. And uh, he thought that the best way he could do something was use his athletic ability and uh, and make a difference. And he certainly did that. And uh, Terry just wanted people to realize that anything was possible. You know, anything is possible if you try. Terry would say that so often that dreams are made when you try. And um, uh, Terry was the example of that. You know, he, he had a dream. He had a goal set out to do and to accomplish. And uh, here we are 41 years later, continuing that dream that Terry had. Yeah. Yeah. And another uh, 40 years, uh, I'm sure it's going to just continue to grow and beyond that. And Fred, thank you so much, man. Thank you for your time. Thank you for what you're doing with the foundation and continuing your brother's legacy. I mean, your whole family, just what, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you're, you're Canadian royalty and I'm sure uh, a lot of Canadians would say that. So it's just amazing what you've done, what you're continuing to do. Um, yeah, that just, thank you. I, I hope one of these days uh, in the near future, as I said, my family lives right next to you. Maybe uh, when I do, uh, when I am in town, we could uh, grab a coffee or grab a beer or something. Yeah, you if, you're, if your brother's still here in Maple Ridge, yeah, come and visit. And you know who, uh, being, a, uh, you know, who's the athletes that are from here, I'm sure. So um, Cam Neely was here from the Bruins and uh, Larry Walker. So, yeah. Lots of uh, famous yeah. names for me for it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love it. I'm a, I'm a huge hockey guy, so it's. I'm, uh, I'm trying to indoctrinate my six-month-old son into it. And we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> so are you, in, are you in, in L.A. itself then, or where are you? Uh, I'm in Los Angeles, yeah. But like yeah. I said, I grew up in, in South Florida, so I, I was a yeah. big uh, Florida Panther fan. Oh yeah, uh, which yeah. has been a, a rough twenty six years, but this year they're looking pretty good. So <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's a it's a different year altogether with the different uh, divisions and uh, yeah, it's a weird I'm, year. I'm, I as I'm a Leafs fan, so um, hard to be a Leafs fan in Vancouver. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I bet I can say that uh, with with you being where you are. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, well, hey, I mean the Leafs. I know they've said it many years, but this year it just feels different, right? I mean, it's, I know it's felt different before, but this, I don't know, the, the year that Matthews is having, that the 40 goals is just, it's unbelievable. Um, and obviously just with the division, I mean, there's no doubt they're obviously the, the top of, of the Northern division. So it'll be, it'll be when they do, when they, if they get out of the North division and they, they're playing, you know, the other guys down there. So it'll be, yeah. Yeah, I, I know a lot of a lot of the NHL and a lot of Canada, especially, love to take shots at the Leafs. Oh yeah, but I always root for them. I just think it's an important team for them to do well, and I, I love watching them. Obviously, just the talent. I mean, Matthews well, they're, is just—they're exciting to watch. That's for sure. They really are. Yeah, they really are. Cool, Fred. Again, thank you so much for your time. I, I really do appreciate it. It was great meeting you. For bringing you. attention to uh, to Terry to an audience that may not know who he is. So thank absolutely, you. thanks, yeah. Fred. Alrighty, have a good one. Bye. Terry Fox is probably Canada's most famous athlete. He is Canada's athlete of the year. Keep up the good work and God bless him. Been a real success story all the way around. Keep up your courage. We're all behind you. The whole damn country. Terry Fox has always loved athletics. He was track and field champion in high school. 
He played first string varsity basketball and he was captain of the school's soccer team. Then, in his senior year, it was discovered he had a very dangerous form of cancer, and to keep it from spreading, his entire right leg was amputated. It had to be pretty devastating to find out at 18, when you're just starting a life, that it might be over for you. How did you react? I knew I could be the losing the leg part, but what I wasn't prepared for was the cancer, going through chemotherapy, the treatments, um, the, the hospital, other people dying, and, that, and, that, and that was something I didn't even know about, so it wasn't a shock until I actually began treatment. But that was a lot harder than losing my leg, because I was very, quite sick. A friend of mine came into my room, showed me an article of a guy from New York who ran with one leg, and I told myself then if he could run, one day I'd be able to run too. And then I had a dream that came into my head that one day I'd try and run across Canada. And uh, during that time, I saw there a lot of other people dying of cancer, people my age, and the effects of chemotherapy and radiation, and I just decided I'd, I would try and run across Canada, but not just to say I did it on one leg and, and then to say that, that I could do it, but to try and raise as much money as I could for the Canadian Cancer Society. The way you run is, uh, supposedly there's a name for it? Well, they call it the Foxtrot, because I take an extra hop of my left leg in order to have time for my right leg to come through. Have there been any personal sacrifices you've had to make in order to do this? I can't call it a sacrifice when I'm doing something I want to do, <laughs> and I... Uh, to me, I wouldn't really want to do anything else. A lot of people think I'm crazy doing this, but uh, if, if you're happy, if I'm happy doing it and then I'm crazy, well, I'll be happy crazy. Terry was on mile 2,116 of his remarkable odyssey when I caught up with him. How many more miles have you got to go? About 3,184. Ouch! That's a lot of blisters. This is one heck of a way to raise money, Terry. <laughs> well, it isn't supposed to be easy. Things don't come easy. Things are worthwhile anyway. That's right. I always say to people on the street, you could take my other leg away. And I'd probably be even tougher than what I am right now with one. What do you do for a side ache? <laughs> what I, all I do is keep on going until it goes away. I waved goodbye to Terry as he continued his marathon of hope. He didn't look back because he's looking ahead, always striving for that extra mile. This is more than one man's courageous battle against cancer. Terry was out to unite his nation against this terrible disease. Miles of lonely highways stretched before him. At times, the pain and pressure on his hip was unbearable. But Terry kept going, averaging an unbelievable 26 miles a day. That's like running a marathon each day. News of Terry's run spread across Canada, and soon the lonely highway was filled with the faces of those yearning to cheer him on. People lined the streets for as long as three hours, hoping for the chance to see Terry, run with him, or just touch his hand. With each new town he entered, spontaneous applause roared throughout the crowd. Terry Fox! He was amazed at the welcomes he received, never realizing the impact he would have. People crowded into the streets to hear this determined young man talk about his dream. There are 25 million people who live in Canada. Don't tell me that we can't raise $25 million from the public of Canada. Don't tell me that. See, I gotta set my goals high. Because I believe in miracles, and I have to. Thank you.
This fall in northern Ontario, after running 3,339 miles, Terry's journey was brought to a tragic halt. Unable to finish the 5,300-mile journey or reach his monetary goal for the Cancer Society, he was faced with an even greater disappointment. Yesterday I was running, and I had noticed a little bit of hardness in breathing. I decided I had to go see the doctor, and it was discovered then that uh, I had primary, originally I had primary cancer in my knee three and a half years ago, and uh, that the cancer had spread, and now I've got cancer in my lungs, and uh, we got to go home and, tr and try and do some more treatment, but... Uh, All I can say is uh, if there's any way I can get out there again and finish it, I will. The entire country was shocked and moved by Terry's plight. So as he began his new personal battle with cancer, Canadians held telethons to continue his goal. At this date, over $12.5 million have been raised on Terry's behalf. Terry is a national hero. At 22, he became the youngest person ever to receive Canada's highest civilian award. I've always demanded a lot for myself and uh, expected a lot. And when I, when I ran across Canada, attempted to, the attitude I had in doing my very best was something I've always done. That's why it was hard for me to understand how I could be a hero. Right now, Terry is at home in Vancouver, continuing his courageous fight.